Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. If you listen to this podcast regularly, I bet you love a fascinating case study. And if indeed you do, pull up a chair and settle in. Because for the first time on this podcast, we're looking at a case study. And I couldn't be happier with our first selection, which was presented at Endo 2023. The title is Tingling Over Cheek, an atypical presentation of invasive fungal sinusitis in an ambulatory patient with type 2 diabetes. Joining me today is an author of that study, Dr. Jaya Udayasankar from the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So again, I am very thrilled to be able to talk about a case study for the first time on the podcast. And I think one of the best places to start in talking about a case study is about the, the patient. So can you tell us a little bit about the patient and what you knew before the clinical exam? Uh, that's a good question because she's a 61-year-old lady who's been under my care for years for diabetes. Sadly, she was not the most adherent patient because mm. she would come once a year to the clinic just to get her prescription refills. And it so happened that I hadn't seen her for two years because of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. And my office kept refilling prescriptions for her. And then finally, she shows up. And I vividly remember because it was the Monday morning first patient after Thanksgiving holiday, you know, the weekend. Yeah. And she was my first patient. And I walked into the room thinking this is going to be another visit for prescription refill and diabetes management, not knowing what was in store for me that day. Tell us about how things went after uh, she came back. So initially she just started saying that she was here for her diabetes review and her uh, prescriptions. And I happened to ask her since it's been two years, you know, like if she had any updates for me and how she was doing overall. And then she happened to mention that she was in the emergency room the week before, mm. and that triggered a conversation, which actually led to her diagnosis. All right. So tell us about the exam that you would perform and what you would find. Yeah. So I'll say a little bit more about yeah. her presentation because yeah. it was interesting. So she happened to mention that when she was in the emergency room, so I asked a few more questions why she was there and what happened to her. She happened to mention the sensation of tingling on her uh, right cheek and just over her nose in that area. And she was wondering if she had a stroke, mm. which led her to go to the emergency room. And they diagnosed her with an allergy and she discharged her home on Benadryl. And when I started asking her more questions, she mentioned that she had seen three other providers before that in the last month. She happened to see her primary care provider because of the same symptom and some stuffiness in her nose. And she ended up having a course of antibiotics and the tingling still persisted. Hmm. She even saw a dentist thinking it might be due to a root, a dental root infection and who happened to prescribe her antibiotics for the second time and her symptoms persisted. She also saw an acupuncturist, you know, to see if her tingling symptoms would improve and it did not improve. So, so there was more layers, you know, she's been seeing three different providers and she's had treatment with two different antibiotics with uh, no change in her symptoms. So coming back to your question, mm -hmm. you know, when I saw her in the office, uh, she looked well, she was accompanied by her daughter, and she would just be any other routine, average healthy patient sitting in your clinic talking about diabetes medicines and blood sugars and so forth. 
So during the exam, since she mentioned the tingling on her uh, right cheek, uh, she did have what we term, the medical term is hyperesthesia, like just to touch, you know, when I touched her right cheek and the left cheek and over her nose, she did have some uh, diminished sensation, which she kept describing as tingling. Mm -hmm. And so that was all to it. And she had some mild sinus tenderness over her uh, uh, right cheek. When I pressed her right cheek, you know, she had some tenderness. Um, not severe, just mild, you know, and that was it. She was otherwise well. So you had a real mystery on your hands. Yes. <laughs> Someone comes in, they've seen multiple experts, has received a, a good number of allergy medicines, right? Yes, allergy medicines, two different courses of antibiotics and acupuncture treatment. And still has a tingling sensation in the cheek. And now you're touching it, you're seeing what you're seeing. And now you're the one who's going to find something out. So tell us what happened next. So immediately the, the alarm bell started ringing in my mind, even though she was well, mm -hmm. just hearing the story, you know, I was thinking like, um, could this be something that's atypical, not bacterial infection because it didn't respond to antibiotics. Could this be something atypical? And what made me wonder was because I've known this patient for years mm -hmm. and sadly she was not you know, taking her medicines regularly and her hemoglobin A1C, you know, was typically over 11%, which corresponds to blood glucose of 300 plus. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing on the back of my mind. You know, we forget that diabetes is an immunocompromised state, especially uncontrolled diabetes with high blood sugars. So what made me think was whether she had some kind of fungal infection in her sinus, mm -hmm. which kind of like, you know, um, eroded the base of her skull, trapping the nerve, you know, and that was causing symptoms on the right side. So it was just a clinical intuition, you know, at that point. So that made me wonder if she had this fungal sinusitis that was invading her bones. So you're thinking about the fungal infection as a possibility at this point. And you mentioned a little bit briefly about how with a patient with uncontrolled diabetes, why that might be a big deal. Could you just spell it out clearly, you know, if it is a fungal infection and if it's not treated appropriately, what could happen in, with someone with uncontrolled diabetes? That's a great question because this is why she was atypical. You know, she mm -hmm. came without any other classic manifestations uh, like high grade fever and so forth. So if you did not make the diagnosis timely, you know, the fungal infection could invade the structures, not just the one adjacent, you know, so which means like the, uh, the bottom of the skull. So invading into the brain or mm. like the bottom of the uh, orbit the eyes and you could have invasion into the eyes and patients usually come with eye symptoms and last but not the least with invasive fungal infection they can invade the blood vessels so you can have dissemination all over your body like mm. you can have a lung, a lung abscess or you could have a brain abscess uh, not just because of the contiguity you know the spread from edges and sinus but through invasion of the blood vessel you can have multiple lesions of the fungus you know in your body like disseminated fungal infection it sounds like the kind of thing you want to make sure you have a proper diagnosis of and not miss. <laughs> exactly, yeah, because typically in my residency, in my training, this is something that we took care of in the intensive care unit mm -hmm. and patients had like a touch and go situation. You know, they would either make it or not. At this point, you have a hypothesis that it might be this fungal infection. Can you tell us what uh, happened next? 
so the next thing was uh, she just remembering uh, reminding our audience this is in an ambulatory setting you know mm. just an outpatient clinic and then so i had to place a stat referral to ent your nose and throat team and um, you know order like a stat ct and mri and um, i passed off her care to the my ent colleagues who saw her immediately and once the results came in the cat scan and the mri this was in keeping with sinusitis you know at this point you don't know what it is but she had inflammation of her sinus you know uh, but the more important thing was the inferior rectus muscle which is like the muscle on the bottom of your orbit mm -hmm. uh, that moves your eyes you know and that was inflamed and there was a foramen you know uh, where the nerve comes through the infraorbital nerve and that was they had some stranding they call it on the mri so this uh, further heightened her suspicion, you know, of invasive fungal infection. And so we don't know for sure it's fungal infection yet at this point, but it's about to come back. Yes. All right. Yes. So the next step was uh, she was admitted to the ambulatory surgical unit, you know, for a day procedure. And she happened to have uh, the sinus surgery and she went home, you know, and during the uh, surgical procedure on the review of the surgical notes, they did find necrotic tissue. Necrotic uh -huh. is just dead material, uh -huh. you know, and she had a sinus wash. And uh, that same evening, she got a call from the ENT surgeon because the frozen section during the surgery just showed dead cells and that's it. Okay. But then the pathologist called back, you know, on further, you know, review of the slides, you know, with staining, she was able to see fungal hyphae, which is like the fungal organism. And she couldn't tell what it was, but she just said it was fungal, you know, invasive fungal sinusitis uh, because it was invading like the blood vessels and the, mm. it, it, they had necrotic tissue extending into the bone and that prompted them to call uh, the ENT and then the ENT called the patient STAT and that same evening she was asked to go to a tertiary level center, you know, for STAT surgery and she ended up having surgery that same night, uh, wow, you know, at the fast. tertiary center. Yeah, yeah. And she was hospitalized um, at that uh, facility and she needed additional treatment. Wow. At what point did they find out what sort of fungus was the culprit? Mm -hmm. So when she was admitted at the tertiary center, like yeah. post-surgery, yeah. again, the pathology and the PCR test revealed that she had Aspergillus niger infection and she was treated with antifungals at first, antifungal medication, IV, and yeah. then later switched over to oral voriconazole, and then she was discharged home. Just in case our listeners are a little unfamiliar with Aspergillus niger, can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, it's a common mold that's there in, uh, everybody inhales the spores of this mold, you know, at some point or the other, because okay. it's there in the common, like, you know, on the leaves, on the trees, it's there on compost, it's there on, like, the wooded trees, uh, so it's pretty, you know, universal where it's present and most of us inhale the spores without any problems. Uh, it's typically patients who are immunocompromised mm -hmm. and that leads to immunocompromised. We think in terms of uh, bone marrow, like stem cell transplants, uh, leukemia patients who have a very low white cell count and post uh, organ transplants and little do we think about uncontrolled diabetes because uncontrolled diabetes is a risk factor to its immunocompromised state and then the other state would be like um, patients on prednisone high dose prednisone therapy mm. so these are the common immunocompromised states where patients when you inhale the spores uh, you and me might be able to just fight it off you know we don't have symptoms but in these patients the fungus tends to dwell in the body mm -hmm. and then invade the surrounding structures 
I want to come back to this in just a moment, but I also want to ask, how did the patient respond to treatment? Uh, she did great. Okay. Interestingly, she mm -hmm. did great. Uh, she was discharged home and she came home for follow-up, you know, back to my clinic for diabetes. At that point, you know, she was started on insulin in the hospital uh, to control her diabetes. And she came home, I mean, she came to the clinic uh, on insulin therapy. And after about like three to four weeks, we were able to take her off insulin because I think this gave, gave her the scare of her life. You know, <laughs> and she started taking her medications as prescribed. How about that? And yeah, yeah. And she got her A1C under control. And since I told you it was like Thanksgiving, we we're almost six months since she presented. And I just saw her in clinic like two weeks before I came to this mm -hmm. uh, conference. And she's doing great. I imagine she was happy to have an answer to the mystery, but she probably could not have predicted that the answer was going to be what it was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let me come back to that one other item. So that fungus that you talked about, saying it's everywhere, it's on compost, it's on the trees. How common might it be that someone with uncontrolled diabetes, if this is you know everywhere, how much of a risk is this? And, and how aware are healthcare providers that this is something to really be on the lookout for that, hey, this patient has uncontrolled diabetes, we should always be either screening or checking to see if there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. So when I did a literature search, most of them were the, when we talk immunocompromised, it was like the post-transplant, leukemia patients, high-dose prednisone therapy, and of course, uncontrolled type 2 diabetes has been reported. It is a well-known risk factor, but in the ambulatory setting, it's not that commonly, uh, like, you know, I discussed this case with my colleagues, you know, we are like six mm -hmm. Uh, endocrinologists in our practice and when I told them about this case uh, none of them said that they would have thought about this you know when they saw the patient so you're right you know this is not something that most endocrinologists are aware of and uh, there should be more awareness about this condition and that's why we're so excited to, to feature this one on the podcast we think it's just a a, a very important story to tell yes. and we are just about out of time but I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today sure thank you my pleasure well, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Do you want us to cover more case studies? Let me know by emailing me at podcast at endocrine.org. And of course, I'm always happy to get your thoughts on topics you'd like to see us cover on the podcast. So email those to me too. Until next time, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.